Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Columbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us today, and we're both here for the first time in about a week and a half. Uh, the band is back together. I hope you enjoyed our specials, as I mentioned yesterday, including answering your questions. We'll probably do that again at some point. We've got some uh, holidays coming up eventually. Uh, Jim, uh, hope you enjoyed your vacation. I know I enjoyed mine. I didn't talk about it much yesterday with with Scott subbing for you, but uh, I know you're across the pond uh, going through France. So hopefully it was a great time with your family. And uh, as we did mention in passing yesterday, wow, a lot of big stories waited for us to be gone. Yes. I, I uh, Each time one of those stories was breaking, I was like, you know, oh, you know there's a small part of me that was like, yeah, I wish I could go back and talk about this on this podcast. A lot of me felt relief that I didn't have to. And, and just kind of knowing that the, you know, it seemed like the, uh, uh, I would say a, a hurricane, but maybe there's another, you know, uh, bovine excrement uh, related uh, <laughs> metaphor that uh, seems to fit the circumstance. The you know what hitting the fan didn't have to deal with it, but now we're back and we do. But apparently, Greg, if you and I are both away from the microphones, the world blows up. That's that's kind of the way it seems to work with here. You know, nothing small. It's not like little, you know, routine things happen while we're away. Generally, it's big, consequential. What the heck just happened sort of things. Well, there's this running joke at the office. It hasn't happened in a huge way in a long time, but uh, there was a stretch where every time I left, some massive world figure would die. It was uh, Reagan, Pope John Paul II, Gerald Ford, Saddam Hussein, Boris Yeltsin. There were even like mass shootings and the tsunamis would happen while I was gone. And so it almost became a joke of which famous person is going to check out while, while Greg's on vacation. And uh this time, I think it was probably Olivia Newton-John, who doesn't exactly rise to the level of president or pope, but uh, still significant. But uh, I'm gl- sure. hope you- While you're away, Greg, you say they died of natural causes. <laughs> Greg Corumbus, international assassin. That's part of the office joke, too, actually. Uh, but anyway, Jim, uh, let's get into our martinis. Unlike yesterday, we actually have a good martini, and it's kind of a recurring one at the expense of one Francis O'Rourke. Uh, Robert Francis O'Rourke, I guess. But uh, Beto is uh, trying really hard, and it's not helping him out much. Uh, Beto has uh, gone on on a very aggressive campaign run. He's spending money that's uh, come from people loyal to George Soros. He's dropping F-bombs on the trail, and it's got him all the way up to 39% in the uh, latest poll from the Dallas Morning News. Greg Abbott, the governor, the Republican, running for a third term, which is permissible in Texas, is up 46 to 39. That's among registered voters in the certain-to-vote category. It's a 10-point lead for Abbott, 51 to 41. If you're certain or likely to vote, it's down to six somehow. I'm not really sure how that works, but uh, the more certain you are, the more things look good for Greg Abbott. So we're going to have less good news for Republicans in the next one. So hold on to your uh, hats for that. But uh, for right now, Jim, Texas voters, they've seen enough of Beto O'Rourke over the past few years. They know the difference in uh, character and in uh, competence here. And hopefully this means that Greg Abbott's on his way to another victory. So the big news in that Dallas Morning News poll was that not much had changed. And you might say, well, that's not really big news. But it is big news in the context of this narrative, which was very deep rooted over the last two, three months that, yeah, you know, it's a Texas is a Republican state and Greg Abbott is an incumbent. And, you know, OK, you know, 
Uh, you know, or this looks like it's going to be, be a good year for Republicans. But the Uvalde shooting changed everything. And then the overturning of Roe versus Wade changed everything. And then Beto O'Rourke raising tons of money changed everything. Never mind the fact that he raised more money as a Senate candidate than anybody else had up until that point in history. Um, there was a lot of pieces that a lot of mainstream institutions or mainstream publications that basically argued, oh, no, this is it. This is this is this is a game changer. This you know, this is not the Texas you used to know. This is a different set of political cir- circumstances. Here comes Beto O'Rourke. And yet, if you look at the polling, uh, Greg Abbott was usually ahead by anywhere from, you know, uh, mid to upper single digits, probably less than Republicans would like to see. They're used to seeing Greg Abbott win by like 20 points like he was up against um wendy davis a few years back he only went by 13 points in 2018 remember that was a pretty good year for uh democrats across the country it was also the year that beta o'rourke only lost to ted cruz by three percentage points beta o'rourke is better than the typical texas democratic candidate but the typical statewide candidate and the typical texas statewide can democratic candidate is roadkill <laughs> beta o'rourke is good at getting a closer than usual result for the texas democrats and that's what he's on pace to do that was he was what he was on pace to do before the uvalde shooting that's what he was on pace to do before the overturning of roe versus wade and that is what at least according to this dallas morning news poll he's uh, on pace to do depending on how much turnout is because if only the people who say they're certain going to vote are the ones who actually go out and vote then it looks like it'll be a 10 point win so that's pretty much par for the course uh, again, slightly better than usual, but not really anything to brag about. You know, you don't get you don't get any points for that. Maybe it helps Democrats down ticket a bit, but uh, by and large, I, what what's frustrating about this is that after these big, seemingly dramatic events and Beto confronting Abbott at the press conference, and now he's dropping the f bomb again and all this kind of stuff, we keep getting told, usually by reporters from outside of Texas, that something big is happening here. And then it doesn't bear, you know, bear out in the polling numbers. Now, we'll come back and really give the I, I told you so's in November. But as of this point, there really hasn't been much movement in this race. And I think it's an indicator of how much you get told what someone wants to see in a race instead of what they're actually seeing. That's good analysis. The Democrats have obviously made some progress in Texas. Uh, you mentioned Cruz versus Beto in 2018. I think Beto's presidential campaign is actually hurting him here because people saw how radical he was willing to get to try to win votes. Um, and um, I think Trump won by certainly single digits in, in 2020 in Texas. So it's getting more competitive. And Democrats know that if they can win statewide in Texas, particularly at the presidential level, the electoral map is over for Republicans. Republicans have to have Texas. And so it's part wishful thinking and, and part actual progress here. But uh, the advantage is definitely with Republicans, and when you look at what's happening with the Hispanic vote in Texas, and in this particular uh, poll, it's 45-38 in favor of Beto, which I'm guessing is not where um, those numbers were just a few years ago. And interestingly, 44% of women compared to 42 favor Greg Abbott. So uh, very, very interesting here that, uh, that, that Abbott is doing much better in some of these demographics than people would have thought. So uh, hopefully that uh, stays the same. Definitely don't want to deal with uh, Governor Beto, but I'm sure MSNBC is keeping a seat warm for him. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And while things are looking good for Greg Abbott, things are not looking good for the Republicans in their effort to take back the Senate. This is from Politico. As midterm election campaigns heat up in the Senate's top battlegrounds, the National Republican Senatorial Committee is canceling millions of dollars of ad spending sending GOP campaigns and operatives into a panic and upending the committee's initial spending plan. 
The cuts, totaling roughly $13.5 million since August 1st, come as the Republican Senate campaign committee is being forced to, quote, stretch every dollar we can, said a person familiar with the NRSC's deliberations. Republican nominees in critical states like Ohio, Pennsylvania, and North Carolina, places the GOP must defend this fall, have failed to raise enough money to get on air themselves, requiring the NRSC to make cuts elsewhere to accommodate. Since August 1st, the NRSC has cut ad buys in the battleground states of Pennsylvania, $7.5 million, Arizona, $3.5 million, Wisconsin, $2.5 million, and Nevada, $1.5 million, according to the ad tracking service Ad Impact. Separately, a Democratic source tracking advertising buys estimated roughly $10.5 million in cuts by the NRSC since the first of the month. And so, Jim, uh, we've talked about the problems that the Republicans have in Pennsylvania. Oz is just simply deeply unpopular, so that's probably why the biggest cut is there. They don't seem too optimistic about defeating Mark Kelly at this point, although they're, they're cutting far less there. But of those four states, three of them are held by Republicans. Only Nevada is one that we're trying to pick up. So uh, when you're trying to uh, get plus one, however you can across the board, this is not a good start at all. Yeah, no, for what it's worth, the NRSC said, oh, this is nonsense. We're simply moving our buys from one institution to another. Uh, this, we're, we're, this is all strategic move. Don't, you know, we have other groups that are going to be active in this. The RNC, 527 groups, all that kind of stuff. So don't worry. Um, uh, we're all going to, you know, this, this, is, this, is, you know, this is the media hyping this. But let's face it, if you're the National Republican Senatorial Committee, does Mehmet Oz look like a good investment right now? Does he look like the type of this? Does this Pennsylvania Senate race look like where you want to put your resources? I'm a little more surprised by some of the other ones. Uh, Wisconsin, in particular, uh, Nevada looked like it was a, if not a near automatic, but a, a really good shot for Republicans this year. In Arizona, look, this candidate, you know, the nominee is not going to be an easy slam dunk against Mark Kelly. And so I, I think the problem for this story, if the NRSC thinks this is, 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 if it really is false, is that it lines up with other things that we see. Um, a little bit before the break, I wrote a, a corner post asking a question of whether J.D. Vance is in trouble in Ohio. And I did this based on readers in Ohio who were saying, look, Jim, I'm seeing Tim Ryan ads everywhere I go. It feels like Mike Bloomberg, you know, Mike can get it done, that ubiquitousness. Every time you turn on the television, every time you turn on your computer, you're getting bombarded with the, in fact, I'm getting Tim Ryan ads on my Facebook post, I don't, in my, on my <laughs> Facebook page. I live in Virginia. It's not doing them any good, but fine. You know, but it just seems like, okay, so clearly they're just flooding the airwaves. And J.D. Vance was basically not on the airwaves uh, from the primary day till about like maybe two weeks ago. You know, J.D. Vance had a long, hard-fought primary, had to consolidate support within the party, had to rebuild up the, the financial resources. Um, I, people, including my colleague, Michael Brennan Doherty, who I'm thrilled with these days, uh, said, Jim, you're, you're just worrying for nothing. He's going to win by a margin like Tom Cotton did. This is going to be a route. Don't worry about it. Uh, maybe he will. Maybe this is absolutely right. The polling in there generally has been from uh, you know, Tim Ryan's internal polls, polls that are, you know, likely affiliated with Democratic groups or certainly not, you know, pro J.D. Vance groups. The one Republican poll that's out there is by John Bolton, and he's no fan of J.D. Vance. So you can make an, ar an argument to dismiss all of those polls. I've also seen the argument just in the last day or so that a lot of the polling for this cycle, some people look at this and say, mm, your samples have way too many college educated uh, upper class whites in them. That you know, basically your classic Bernie Sanders Democratic voters. Um, you have way too many you know urban progressive elites in them. You have not nearly enough 
working class, blue collar, uh, and also minority groups, particularly Latinos, particularly Asian Americans. And we've seen some polling that indicates these demographics have been shifting to Republicans significantly. So there are some people who are arguing, hey, the polls could be way off this cycle, maybe not just the usual three, four, five points, but maybe off by like 10 points. And we've seen some cases like Lindsey Graham against Jamie Harrison back in South Carolina two years ago and uh, Susan Collins and her reelection bid in Maine. So I'm open to the argument that the polling is missing some Republican shift and that they're going to perform significantly better. That said, it's Ohio. Trump won it by eight percentage points. And you'd like to think uh, in a good year in a fairly red state that some poll would have J.D. Vance ahead. So far, we haven't seen that except for one in May that had him up by three. Yeah, it's, it's mid to late August now, right? It's a little later than that. I'm not saying Tim Ryan's going to win. I'm just saying that when you give your opponent the airwaves for two or three months, there's a good opportunity he's going to use that, all that, that advertising barrage to establish himself in voters' minds and to define you in, in, in voters' minds as well. Is this insurmountable for J.D. Vance? I don't think so. He still has the wind at his back in a bunch of ways. But I don't think you can look at that one as the stone-cold lock that a lot of Republicans were expecting it to be earlier in this cycle. I think it's a very similar story all across the map. So, uh, you know, even if this ad buy isn't true and the NRSC is, you know, screaming bloody murder and saying it's not the case, it fits with what seems to be this narrative of more challenging candidates doing that. And that maybe compared to the gubernatorial races or the House races, it just doesn't look like as safe an investor. You know, it looks like a longer shot bet for Republicans than compared to other ones. And I, you know, I assume in circumstances like this, then you have to dismiss the pipe dreams of beating Patty Murray in Washington and some of those other ones like that. I don't know if Bennett is as beatable in Colorado as he looked one or two months ago. But stranger things have happened. It's only August, and we'll see what shakes out between here and November, Greg. Yeah, it's a long way to go still. We've got about uh, two and a half months, and uh, who knows what issues will pop up. The economy is still not great, despite what Joe Biden tried to say about inflation last week. Uh, people are still feeling it. And so I think that still gives the Republicans an edge. But uh, you got to get those people out and you got to you got to make your case. You can't just be the Republican who doesn't like Joe Biden and having Joe Biden as kind of the proxy opponent when that's not technically who you're running against. You know, tie tie your opponent to Joe Biden. That's fine, but also talk about what you want to do because we've talked about the big issues that are out there: economy, border, crime, education. I think Republicans need to be doing a much better job on all those. All right, on to our final martini now, Jim. And today is another primary day. It's a Tuesday. Uh, most eyes will be on Wyoming, where Liz Cheney seems highly unlikely to win her. Uh, House Republican primary. But uh, the other interesting race that isn't getting as much attention is the Senate primary up in Alaska. Now, Alaska is one of these states that has changed their rules, and it drives me nuts because, once again, we can't just get straight-up primaries and then one nominee for each party for the general election, which is how it should be, and I think makes the most sense. Instead, in Alaska, where Lisa Murkowski is running for another term, but uh, is not very popular with her own party over her votes on impeachment and infrastructure and a lot of other things, uh, she is well behind Kelly Shabaka. But if it was just a Republican primary, Shabaka would win. Instead, four people, the top four vote getters, regardless of party, will advance to November. And so that in and of itself creates problems, especially for uh, the party that's most likely more popular up there, because you get at least two, probably, of your own party uh, there, and that might give an advantage to the other party. And then uh, a ranked choice factor 
comes in here, Jim. So you're advancing four in the primary instead of <laughs> instead of two, and then you're also dealing with ranked choice. So it's a very convoluted process here that a lot of people think will redound to Lisa Murkowski's benefit. But regardless of the details in Alaska, this seems like just like a really complicated way to run an election. Greg, I'm the kind of person who should uh, be a supporter of ranked choice voting. Uh, I do think we have too many nut jobs who end up getting elected because they win a plurality in a very divided field. Um, I'd like to see more pragmatic, more results-focused candidates get win. I don't like it being a candidate of who can be the who can be the loudest, craziest uh, one. I don't think it's good for our country. I don't think it's good for our government. I don't think it's good for Republicans. I don't think it's good for the conservative movement. Um, but this is a mess. This is extraordinarily complicated, and it seems like going way too far in the opposite direction, a, a system that basically enables the uh, election of the mashed potato candidate, the, the one who is the most inoffensive and bland and that nobody particularly likes but nobody particularly hates is the one who's most is most likely to get elected. And I don't think that's necessarily the improvement we're looking for. I'm, I'm on the Alaska elections page in which they explain ranked voting. And I'm going to lay it out for you, Craig, because it, it seems if you go through it, it should be simple. The average voter should be able to get this. The division counts all first choices. If a candidate gets 50% plus one vote in round one, that candidate wins and the counting stops. Okay, I get that. That's how it works in almost everywhere else. <laughs> yes. In a lot of these states, like in the South, where they have runoff elections, that, you know, 50%, you're in. But if not, counting goes to round two, and it's not the simple, uh, familiar, you know, whoever gets the most votes wins the runoff, you know, rules we've seen in Georgia and Louisiana and places like that. You know, see, the candidate in the second round the candidate with the fewest votes gets eliminated. And if you voted for that candidate, your vote goes to your next choice and you still have a say in who wins. But if your first choice candidate was not eliminated, your vote stays with them and votes are counted again. This keeps happening in rounds until two candidates are left and the one with most votes wins. Except, Greg, if Jupiter is rising in Sagittarius, <laughs> then you have to make the saving throw on a 20-sided die and roll above a 13 and then your preferred candidate wins. It's, uh, it's okay. Uh, I made up those last parts, but I, <laughs> the first two thirds of that are actually there. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, so wait, so I, I want my 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 third, you know, like, so the candidate I voted for third could end up being the second. Uh, you know, it's it's, it, it's ludicrously complicated. I should not have to do trigonometry to figure out who actually won the election. I do think the you know, as much as people are frustrated with the current system, you know what's nice about it is you got to choose. You got to look at a list of candidates and say, you know what, I like that one best. That's it. That clear. That direct. It kind of forces you, the voter, to make a decision. You can't be wishy-washy. You can't say, "Well, I kind of like this guy," and then this one. You know, this one's really more of a you know because it, it just seems ludicrously complicated and designed to elect the mashed potato candidate. And I really don't know if that's necessarily the solution to what is frustrating us about our system of elections right now. Yeah, well said. Thank you for explaining how that worked. I, I get it in my head, but I could never articulate it as well as you did. And it's just convoluted. One person, one vote. I mean, that's how it's supposed to be. And I get your concern about that. And Jim, of course, as black and white as I usually am, I'm not a man who's unwilling to compromise here. I'd be fine going to ending pluralities. And if you need a runoff with two candidates for the primary or even the general, 
have at it. Sometimes it works in your favor, sometimes it doesn't. Not necessarily my favorite way, but that would be way better than ranked choice voting. It's just like I don't like early voting, but I'd rather have a couple weeks of early voting than uh, than a ton of mail-in balloting. I just feel like it's more secure, and most people can pull that off, and, and mail-in voting should be left to people who seriously and literally can't make it to the polls at all over uh two-week period of time or whatever it is. So I, I think I'd be willing to go there. But uh, some of these um, extra ways just seem to be ways to um, almost subvert the will of the public. But uh, we'll find out. We'll find out what happens tonight and beyond. And in addition to the Senate race, you got Sarah Palin running for the House. So there's more attention on Alaska than usual today. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah, you know, that will give it more attention than it usually gets. Uh, look, if this is a system designed to punish polarizing candidates, and I can see the advantages of that. I can see the idea that's trying to nudge people towards a more consensus-oriented form of politics and, and living in public life. Uh, that said, sometimes sometimes a candidate has strong views, and it seems like this system is just would inherently punish any candidate who has strong views. And that doesn't seem like an improvement based on what we've got right now. No, 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 it doesn't. But more states seem to be headed in that direction. In fact, they did it for the Republican uh, firehouse primary for governor last year. I think we ended up, obviously ended up with a strong ticket, but uh, but that's how they did that. They eliminated uh, the people with the least votes and on and on until you got to the last two. And then that's how we got Glenn Youngkin as a nominee. So sometimes it produces a really good uh, candidate. Sometimes it might not. But uh, just seems more complicated than it needs to be. But uh Anyway, Jim, we're back. We'll see what happens tonight in these couple of states and uh, roll on from there. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already and tell a friend about us. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Really, please keep those coming. And also, remember, you can get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday. And please join us again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. You know, a lot of the media doesn't cover some of the most important news of the day. I'm Byron York with The Byron York Show. In my latest episodes, I will talk about how new information is still coming out about the Mar-a-Lago raid, and it looks a lot like some old conflicts, as the public is demanding answers. And I'm also going to talk about how the IRS is enormously expanding, spending billions of taxpayer dollars in doing so. I don't talk about every single issue, just the ones you need to know the most. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.